All right, the series is done today. I, I hope you've enjoyed as we've looked at what Jesus said about a number of different issues that we struggle with in life. And so if, uh, if you want to get ready, we're going to do a lot of passages of Scripture today. So looking it up on the Bible or on your phone might be a challenge. So we're going to have them all on the screen. Those of you who are online, I hope you're ready to go. Here we go. Let me ask you the question. Voici la question. Est-ce que vous êtes prêts? Are you ready to study God's Word today? Amen. It's the foundation for our lives. And so uh, together we're going to dig into another issue today to finish up this series when Jesus talked about some of the areas we struggle with in life. And today we're going to talk about one of the very uncomfortable things that Jesus talked about which is the issue of what? Sex, good guess. What else? Life. Well, life, that's a pretty big concept, yes. What do you think is one of the more uncomfortable issues that Jesus talks about that people don't want to talk about in church? Money, exactly, money. Some of you are like, oh man, today was the day I had to come to church. Uh, but the reality is that, that I, I think I have seen more Christians who have gotten stalled in their spiritual journey, they've gotten stuck or even fallen away when Satan has used one of three areas in their life as a struggle point. Number one, I think, is unforgiveness. Many Christians have struggled with unforgiveness in a way that has stalled their spiritual journey and prevented them from finding the freedom that God wanted them to live in. Number two is sexual issues. I think that uh, you know, the world says that your body is your own. You should be able to do whatever you want with your body. But the Bible says that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. It was created not just for your pleasure. It was for God's purposes. And number three is this issue of money. Because a lot of times people, you know, I understand that, you know, throughout the years in a number of different contexts, churches have abused the issue of money and there have been, you know, greed issues and and all kinds of issues that cause people to want to say, well, I don't think, and I hear this all the time, I don't think that churches and pastors ought to talk about money. Just trust God. Here's the problem, though, with that. That to ignore the subject of the Bible's teaching on money within the church would be to ignore huge portions of Scripture. In fact, I think it would be spiritual neglect for us not to teach what God says about finances. And in fact, sometimes I wonder if we don't talk about, because we try to be careful and we don't want to offend people and we, you know, we want to teach people, but we don't want them to think that, you know, that we're overbearing or that we're pressuring people or that you know, guilting people. And so sometimes we can be really cautious and, and I think sometimes not talk about money enough in the church because the fact is that Jesus talked about money all the time. Look at what Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 30. He said, what good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? That Jesus is saying that it is very possible for us to do what so often we do, which is to run after the things of this world, the things that we think will give us pleasure, the things we think will make us happy. And in the process, as we run after those things out into the world, get to the very end of our life, having accomplished everything and received everything and accumulated everything that we thought that would make us happy and get to the very end of our lives and discover that we forfeited our own soul in the process. In fact, 
Jesus seems to be saying here that it is possible that at the end of life, some of the peoples who have looked like winners in this life will actually end up as losers for eternity. And that some of the people who look like losers here in this life will end up as winners for eternity. And so, here's an example. One day Jesus is teaching this large crowd, and in Luke 12, verse 13 through 20, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And so apparently this guy was in a family fight. Not that families ever get into arguments or have any conflict, especially around the holidays. How many of you are looking forward to families fighting at the holidays? Getting together with, you know, with brothers and sisters and parents and grandparents and uncles and aunts and cousins and all that tension starts to rise. It's the most wonderful time to have fights and argue and get after each other of the year. And so this guy's in a fight with his brother and he's like, Jesus, take my side. But instead, verse 14, Jesus replied, man, who appointed me a judge or arbiter between you? Then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Verse 16, and he told them this parable. Jesus said, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. This guy says, I've got it made. Money has taken care of all my problems. I have all the comfort and security that I need. But Jesus says in verse 20, but God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. Jesus says, you think that money will solve your problems. But in the words of the famous philosopher, the notorious B.I.G. from Brooklyn, New York. How many of you know what the notorious B.I.G. said about this? Mo money, mo, mo problems. Man, there are only like 20 people who know rap. Come on now. You didn't know you were gonna come to church. I was gonna drop a line as if from heaven from the hottest rap type song of 1997. Watch out now, don't drop a beat. I might start busting some rhymes. Have you moving your feet? You didn't know back in the day your boy used to rap. I got so many mysteries, I'll keep you all coming back. I'm sorry, Lord. And so what did Biggie say? Biggie said, the more money you have, the more problems you have. That's some biblical wisdom because listen, the fact is money does solve some of your problems. It's true. But here's what many people don't realize until they have money. Money solves some problems and creates new ones in your life. It's true. 
That's why rich people very seldom are the happiest people you know. Because listen, Jesus says that money gives you a false sense of security that is a lie. And in the end, the only things that will last forever are the things that we invest in God's kingdom. He says this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. 1 Timothy 6, verse 9 through 10 says, people who want to get rich, I won't make you raise your hand, but I mean, if you were to ask me, would you rather have a lot of money or no money, I I wouldn't mind being rich. (laughs) But the problem is, people who want to get rich fall into temptation. That desire to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money. Now notice, money is not the problem in and of itself. It's not that money is the problem, it's the love of money. It's the love of stuff. It's what we think money will do for us. That is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Colossians 3, 5 says, So put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Greed, which is what? Which is idolatry. Now, what is idolatry? What does that mean? Idolatry is any time you put anything in your life before God. Anything in your life that you get focused on so much that God starts to take a back seat, that is idolatry. And so then Jesus gives us this example in Mark chapter 10. Jesus has been teaching, and and he's on his way out, and as he gets ready to leave, this guy comes running out to catch him. Mark 10, beginning in verse 17. And so as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one's good except God alone. In other words, I I think you're on to something here. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, I have kept all these since I was a boy. And Jesus looked at him and loved him. And notice, Jesus didn't look at him in disgust. Jesus looked at him and loved him, but said, one thing you lack. You you may have all these other things in your life, and you think you're living a good life, but Jesus says, there's still a problem that's unique. Not unique in terms of nobody else ever has it, but not everybody has the same struggle. For some of you, what we're talking about today is not a temptation at all, but for this guy, it was. And so here's what Jesus said. One thing you lack For you, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come, follow me. Jesus was saying the problem is you love your status, your position. You love how money makes you feel more than how God makes you feel. You love how people look at your stuff and they wish they were you, and it makes you feel significant. 
And so Jesus says, verse 22, or it says, at this the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. And as I read that, I thought about that, and I began to realize, you know what? I feel really bad for, for rich people. They have it hard. And I thought, you know what? In fact, rich people, maybe they're part of the problem in this world, right? And then it's like the Spirit of the Lord spoke and said, Joel, you are one of those rich people. I'm like, whoa, 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 God, I think you're talking about the wrong person. Have you seen my bank account? I am not rich. But then if you look at what I have and what you have, and if you were to compare what we have to most places in the world, most of us here in Canada are pretty rich on the broad scale of things. We're in the top percentage. We live in one of the most affluent generations in the history of the world. In fact, I wonder here today if it's true that some of the poorest people in Canada are actually more rich than some of the wealthiest people in some other parts of the world. And here's the danger with money and consumerism. Here's the problem. It can blind us to our spiritual condition. Here's what Jesus said in Revelation 3, verse 17. You say, I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched and pitiful and poor and naked. And I wonder how much of that is speaking to the spiritual condition of Canada, where we have just about everything that we need. And in the midst of our outward comfort on the inside, Jesus says, you don't even realize what a wretch you really are. How pitiful your life is. How poor and blind you are to the spiritual realities that are around you every day. Now, so far, all of this is negative stuff. And you're maybe wondering, does the Bible even have anything positive to say about money? <laughs> Actually, I'm glad you asked. Yes, it does. The Bible says all kinds of positive things about money. Money can do amazing good in this world when it is devoted to God's purposes. Look at Luke 16, verse 10 through 20, or 10 through 12. And we're going to look at just these few verses for the rest of our time here today. And we're going to really hunker down and see what Jesus says here in Luke chapter 10, verse uh, 16, verse 10 through 12. Let's read it out loud together, okay? Are you ready? <clears throat> Get your throat ready. Let's read it good and strong. Jesus said, unless you are faithful in small matters, you won't be faithful in large ones. If you cheat even a little, you won't be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? 
Now, I know you're like, well, Joel, come on. That's pretty negative too, right? It seems to be, Jesus seems to be saying negative stuff about money here also. Why is this positive? Because if you look at this, is, is Jesus not also teaching us some good news? I mean, think about it if you read it this way. If you are faithful in smaller matters, Jesus says that is a sign that you will probably be faithful in larger matters, that God can trust you with more. That if you don't cheat even a little, then you'll probably be honest with greater responsibilities. And if you are trustworthy with worldly wealth, if you do handle money according to biblical principles in this world, then God can trust you with the true riches of heaven. So let's go back and talk about these, these three ideas. What is Jesus saying here? I think number one, Jesus is saying how you treat money shows God whether or not he can trust you. Suppose you have a 10-year-old child and you take this 10-year-old boy and you throw him the keys to a brand new Corvette. 600 horsepower. You throw him those keys and say, hey kid, I know you've dri never driven a car before. Uh, try not to kill anybody, go have fun. Who would think that's a good idea, <laughs> right? Not a good idea, why? Because at a certain age and at a certain stage, you start to train them in what they should do and how to handle this very powerful tool. And, and so you take them to a parking lot, a big parking lot with no telephone poles at 2 a.m. so that nobody's around. And, and then you, you, you hire a driving instructor and you give them lots and lots of practice before eventually you throw them the keys to this powerful and dangerous tool. And spiritually, Jesus is saying that whether you realize it or not, God has been doing that same thing with money. That, that he has been testing you to see what are you going to do in the good times when you have surplus? What are you going to do in the bad times? How are you going to put God first? Are you really going to trust him or do you just talk about faith or do you actually live it out? Do you work hard or you just, do you just expect everybody to give you everything? And God has been testing you to see if he can trust you in many areas of your life. But the fact is, one of the easiest areas for God to evaluate is in this area of money. Number two, money issues are often an opportunity to discover God's knowledge and wisdom. Remember, Jesus said that if, if you can't be trusted with worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? Now, what is Jesus talking about when he says the true riches of heaven? I don't think the true riches of heaven are actually money, right? I think the true riches of heaven, the true wealth, is actually the knowledge and wisdom of God that comes through a relationship with Jesus. And so what many times we don't realize is that there is a direct connection between financial stewardship and spiritual maturity. And the fact is that, that 
There are levels of spiritual maturity. There are levels of spiritual growth and joy and fulfillment in life that you will never find if you don't get this area figured out how to put God first in your finances. Number three, when we are trustworthy with money, God can trust us with even more important things. What kind of important things does God then entrust us with? Let me give you an example. Uh, when I was in university, there was one job that I absolutely did not want to do. One thing I never wanted to be was a pastor. My father was a pastor when I was growing up, and I wanted nothing to do with it. And so, of course, what did God do? He has a sense of humor. He called me to be a pastor. And the very first church that Tracy and I went to, 80 people on the first Sunday, a small little church with some wonderful people, almost all of them uh, were old, like 30, 40 years older than us. And uh, we started with so little, and I would never have been able to guess. I just wouldn't have even begun to imagine that God would have us in the position that we're in now. And it just doesn't make any sense to me. When, when I go to sometimes meetings where I'll get invited with, uh, with some of the large churches, pastors from some of the large churches across North America, and I'll go into situations like that, and I look around the room at all these impressive leaders, and I just don't even feel like I fit in. Like, I just don't feel like I'm, I'm one of them. Like, that, they're so impressive, and I am not. And I can't believe that God has, has used us in the ways that he has over the years. Some of the amazing stories and miracles that God has done and the, the lives that have been impacted. I, but here's, here's what I wonder. Here's what I wonder, is in all of my life, while, while there are a lot of things I haven't gotten right and have had to learn and grow in, one of the things that I've done from the very youngest age, my parents taught me biblical principles of how to handle money. As a child, they began to teach me to, to give to God the first 10% of everything that I had. And so every job that I've ever had I tried to work hard and give my best for the glory of God. When I was a kid mowing the yard for money, when I got my first job at a fast food restaurant making French fries, when I then got an ex a more exciting job working at a music store, and then I got an even less exciting job <laughs> working at a department store uh, selling televisions and computers, in everything I've done, I've always tried to work hard and give my best for the glory of God. And everything that I've ever earned, the first fruits have always gone to God. Other than a short season of my life in college when I walked away from God, before and after, ever since, I've always tithed 10% of whatever give, uh, God gives. It's called first fruits giving. And... Beyond the 10%, Tracy and I have always prayed and asked God, beyond what we give to the church, what else do you want us to do? And so Tracy and I have given vehicles to the poor. We've given to people who needed money. We've given to missions. We've given to charities and nonprofits. 
Uh, in fact, I think that's one of the reasons Tracy stopped giving me cash for my wallet because every week uh, I'd, I'd just give it away. And so uh, over the years with uh, the 10% that we've given to church and then on top of that all the other offerings that God has called us to give and people to help, that some years we've given as much or more than 15% of our income. And you're like, well, Joel, way to go bragging and everybody. You're going to lose your reward in heaven. Why, why do I tell you that? It's because, first of all, remember, I don't think we talk about this stuff enough in the church. We keep it secret. A lot of times because we're ashamed of what we don't do, and we get upset when people share testimonies of what they do for the glory of God. And here's, here's the primary reason, though. Here's why I love telling you this. Because the more we have given away, the more God has blessed us back. <laughs> his provision, oh, let me tell you, his, his provision over and over again, time after time, God has always provided. I, I know it sounds crazy when people say, oh, you can't outgive God. But I'm here to tell you, that's what we've experienced. You can't outgive God. And here's the point more than just increasing our finances, more than that, God has increased to us even more important things responsibility, influence. In fact, I never wanted a job like this. I, I, I get upset sometimes. God gives me more responsibility than I even want. I, I, Tracy reminded me, we were talking about this this weekend, and I was, we were just recounting some of these stories as I was telling her what I was going to teach this morning. And she reminded me of a funny story that I have not thought in in years. I think it was probably about 17 years ago, maybe, uh, 16 years. I don't remember the exact year. It might have been around 2003. And uh, so I, I'm the pastor at this little church, and I get a call from ABC. We were living in Michigan. You know, ABC, the television network of our local affiliate. And they, they said, we're looking to do something special for Christmas. We're looking for some special inspirational programming, and we're wondering if you were to pay the small fee to, do, like, to produce the material if you gave us a 30-minute show, and it, it might cost, I forget what, it was maybe a couple of thousand dollars, $1,500 to produce, I don't even remember, we'll show it on ABC here in Michigan. I'm like, what? And so we, we talked to the church board, and we went ahead and committed the money, and, and so we made a television program, a 30-minute show to go on ABC. And I thought, well, they'll show it one time. I, maybe, maybe we'll be really, really fortunate and they'll show it twice to the like 700,000 people in the, in the viewing audience for that ABC station. And they showed it every 30 minutes on a rotating loop for 24 hours. <laughs> Started at 6 p.m. on Christmas Eve until 6 p.m. on Christmas Day. I went to bed and Joel was on TV Pre, talking about the, the, the Christmas story and how Jesus loved us and died on the cross for our sins and sharing the message of salvation and the hope of the world. And then I woke up at 6 a.m. before the kids came down to open the presents, turned on the TV, and Joel's still on ABC. Every 30 minutes, 48 times in a row, they played it on TV. Now, I, I'm, I'm sure that that guy who thought this was a good idea got fired by ABC. I don't even understand what he was thinking. It was crazy. 
that can only be attributed to the favor of God. That, that doesn't make sense, that kind of stuff. And sometimes I wonder if maybe God looked down from heaven and said, you know that Gorvette kid? He's kind of a screw up. He's not too smart. He's losing all his hair. He's really not that impressive. But you know, there's one thing he's always done pretty well. He has been faithful with what little I have given him. I think I'm going to give him a little more. And then a little more. And then a little more. Until I, I look back 20 years later, I can't even believe the things that God has done in our lives. And I can't help but wonder if it's Luke 16, verse 10 through 12, where Jesus says, unless you are faithful in small matters, you won't be faithful in large ones. If you cheat even a little, you're probably not going to be better with greater responsibilities. And if you're untrustly worthy with worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven. Last year, we did something really scary and risky as a church. Uh, every year, we give away, uh, recently, between 15% and 20% of our income as a church, uh, of our budget. We practice what we preach around here, and we give away between 15 and 20% in the last few years of everything we receive at Moncton Wesleyan, we send away to missions and homeless charities and drug addiction recovery centers and pregnancy resource centers and church planting and the mission of Christ here in Atlantic Canada and, uh, and around the world. But last year, for the first time, we felt like God was asking us to do something really, really big and give away the entire Christmas offering. Uh, for decades, this church has depended upon people to give a special offering to God uh, at Christmas for the mission and ministry of this church. And that's how, over the years, we've been able to maintain budget. And, it, and it's a good thing. But as a church, you need to know that we are leaning into this practice of radical generosity. Because we believe this stuff. And so we decided, as we looked around last year, what's the greatest need in our city? And, and last year in November, we saw the issue of homelessness and decided to give the entire Christmas offering away to tackle the issue of homelessness here in... Uh, now, I, I, I love you, but listen, I've only got so much time. Let's keep moving here. Okay. No, no, no. I, I promise. It's going to get to really even better stuff than this. So, so what we did... So, so we, uh, we partnered with Harvest House to, to remodel and open 14 uh, new beds for the homeless, uh, to uh, expand the accompanying washrooms to resource it, and also to invest in uh, staffing and operations for a new women's recovery center that's in process. And because of your radical generosity, for those of you who are new around here, last year, because of your radical generosity, we gave $111,000 for that single purpose. It was amazing. Give glory to God. It was amazing. It was fantastic. Okay. Okay, so here's what a lot of people don't know, that we made that decision in November, and at the time that we made that decision, we were $45,000 behind budget for the year. So we needed that Christmas offering. We needed that money. But our board prayed in November, and I'm so proud of our church board as we, we pressed in and leaned into this truth and, and decided that we're going to give it all away and God will bless us. 
And so we did and gave a, the entire $111,000 Christmas offering to the issue of homelessness here in Moncton. Now, I, I'm gonna, for the sake of time, I'm going to cut right to the end of the story. So six weeks later, I, I want you to do the math because this doesn't make any sense according to the world's math. This is God's economy, okay? We needed $45,000 to make budget as a church. So we gave away $111,000. That's crazy. And six weeks later, someone wrote us a check as a church for $43,000. They had put the, check, the church in their will, and one check wiped out the entire deficit. Because listen, friends, you can't outgive God. The more we give, the more he provides. That's something to give God glory for. And so that's, guess what? This year, we're going to do it again. This year, uh, we are behind by about $50,000. Uh, and uh, sounds like to me an opportunity for God to do a miracle. And so uh, what, what's, what's happened is actually our giving is up this year. You, you folks have been amazing. And our giving is a lot higher than it was last year. But we have a problem. We are growing so fast as a church <laughs> that our giving isn't keeping up. In recent days, just within a short period of time, we have grown by about 200 people in attendance. And in that same time, just a few, but just about a, like a couple of months ago, we had our first church plant that came out of us, a bilingual church plant of Swahili and French. Uh, called Maranatha Faith Assemblies, and we pray for Pastor Samuel, and I, I, I spoke at the opening, and a lot of them, uh, you know, some still come here on Sunday morning, but we in, invested our blessing and, and prayers, and, and, and I've been to their, to their services. See, God is doing great stuff, but here's the thing. Lots of people consume lots of resources. <laughs> and a lot of times, new people take a while before they start to to learn to give and trust God. But here's the deal. Our hearts break for those who were devastated by Hurricane Dorian. Uh, you know that just a few months ago, beginning of September, we were all hunkering down for the hurricane that was supposed to hit here. And we were very fortunate, other than some damage in Shediac, and I know we have even people here in the church whose basements were flooded, and there were, there were various issues. But for the most part, we were spared from the hurricane. But the Bahamas were not spared. And while Hurricane Dorian missed us, it absolutely devastated the Bahamas. Entire islands with nothing. And so you know that uh, we've, as a church, had a number of people, a number of you who have stepped up and you've uh, taken time off of work and, and, and gone down to the Bahamas to help. As I look around this room, I see a number of the people we had on the platform just a few weeks ago as we shared the stories of, of, of how we're trying to help rebuild and the, the wonderful things that's, that some of you folks have been doing. And so... We've decided what we want to do is go and rebuild 
especially churches and Christian ministries that can then be a light to help their own communities. And so we feel God is drawing us as a church to give 100% of that Christmas offering this year to churches in the Bahamas. And so you'll hear more about that in the next few weeks. But, but here's the point. Listen, here's the bottom line. How you handle money is one of the greatest spiritual tools in your life. It is an opportunity for you to learn and experience blessings and provision and miracles and the hand of God at work in your life. And if you don't get this money thing worked out, it can also become a roadblock to your spiritual growth. It will limit what God can do in your life. But the good news is, when you put God first, when you step out in faith, God meets you there. Will you stand? I, I, I joked with our prayer team at, at 10, 10 a.m. when we have prayer here before the service, and everybody's welcome to come join that in the North Hall. And I said to them, I said, this is probably one of those messages that on social media will not get shared a whole lot. Like people love all the inspirational messages and money messages. I'm expecting this one won't get very many views online. And yet for some, it could be one of the biggest areas of breakthrough. If God speaks to you today and you step out in faith, whatever he's asking you to do, and I hope you sense from our heart what you're hearing today is love and compassion, not guilt and shame. Condemnation comes from Satan. Conviction and inspiration comes from the Holy Spirit. And so let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the wonderful people here in this room and all those who are with us online right now. And Lord, I know that this is a challenging message. I know, I know, I know, I know that there are so many people right now who are struggling financially. Lord, I can't tell them what to do. All I can do is teach your word and then ask you to give them Holy Spirit revelation, what to do with it in their own lives. Lord, that's up to you. But we do invite you to come and speak into our lives. Give us wisdom and direction. And Lord, maybe even for some who are in a season of abundance, we know that Jesus said that those seasons can be very dangerous in our lives because we can become lazy and comfortable and arrogant and think it's because we deserve it rather than seeing it as a, a responsibility that you have given us. And so, Lord, I pray for us as a church, corporately, as the body of Christ, as we try to model as a church what it means to be radically generous, Lord, we pray your provision 
And in the same way, we pray it for every family, every single person, every young person from the youngest to the oldest in this place today. Lord, may your Holy Spirit speak to us today that we would live surrendered lives for you, for your kingdom, and for your glory.